The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. If you're familiar with the Real Housewives of New York City, you certainly know of the fearless go-getter Ramona Singer. Ramona was cast by Bravo as one of the five original Real Housewives of New York City that first aired in 2008, and she has stayed with the hit show ever since. While the exposure from Roni is what propelled her stardom and brought along many, many additional exciting business opportunities, you might not know that she actually led an extremely successful career in the fashion industry before joining Bravo's reality TV show. Ramona is an unstoppable, powerful, self-made entrepreneur who has launched several business ventures and continues to challenge herself by gaining expertise across various industries. Her most recent career move? Real estate. She has had anything but a cookie cutter career and we're super lucky to have her share all of her insight and takeaways that she has learned along the way. Ramona Singer, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Yes, I mean, it was, it's was it been so cool to even do research on you, Ramona, because I'm seeing everything from, of course, all Bravo, different highlight reels, to even Squawk Box. Like, everything in between, you have done. One of the coolest things I think you've done that we are extremely supportive of at, at Trading Secrets and at Restart is you kind of broke away from corporate America and you kind of wrote your story, not the story that was being written for you, and you started your first business, something that so many Americans are doing right now through the great resignation. Can you walk us through a little bit of what made you leave and do your own thing, and specifically like how you first got it going? Because that's where people struggle. They have the idea, they just can't get it going. Well, I had the opportunity, and sometimes you're People get opportunities, but they don't see something or they're afraid, they're nervous. They say they can't do it. And I think one of the things that helps me and will help people is you have to be very positive to say that you can do it. It can be done. So I basically was working for a major fashion house, Diane B, and they had lost financing for that division that I was running. And they said, listen, we have a lot of closeouts, a lot of closeouts because they were private label for limited express and Taylor Talbots. And they said, until we find the financing to to reboot you here, get rid of these closeouts. And I'm like, closeouts, what do you mean? Like all of a sudden I'm selling like things for $9.99, $10.99. When I used to have collections, this is my collection for your ACE stores, promoting Jimmy and Marcus and Bert Goodman and Marshall Fields. Now I'm dealing with TJ Maxx and, and Century 21 and Gateway and Marshalls. It was a whole different thing. And I had to learn what to do. And I moved millions of dollars worth of inventory in two weeks. They gave me a deadline and they were like shocked. They were wow. shocked. So I kept doing it for them for a while. And then they said, listen, we're not getting financing. Here's a $5,000 check and goodbye. So here I was, you know, oh, this was like really bad because I had just broken off my engagement. I couldn't stand my roommate and I had no job. So those are the three things, right? Shelter, family, job. I had none. And what did I do? <laughs> I did the craziest thing I ever did. The most, I don't know if it's irresponsible, but definitely frivolous. I bought the most gorgeous golden aisle fox coat that matched my hair. It was like, it was $5,000. That would be like probably, you know, like 50 now because I bought it wholesale, of course. Yep. So then they approached me, go, listen, we don't, the CFO said, I don't want to do, get rid of this merchandise. Why don't you do it? Why don't you buy it from us and get rid of it? So I'm thinking, well, can I, 
So let yeah. me ask you a question about that, because there's so many cool things you already touched on that my brain's firing. But he told you to move access inventory. When we're listening to this now, we have all been to either, you know, the Nordstrom's or the Nordstrom off racks, and we see those reduced ticket items. Right. So he essentially had this excess inventory. He need to be, it need to be sold and turned over liquidated. quickly and liquidated. Right. What did you do? Like, how did you liquidate it at that speed, at that volume? I just, I don't know. I'm just very driven. I mean, I started calling up all my friends because I knew like some of the major people, but I said, who else do you know who can do closeouts? Who else will buy? So I, I just got a whole new list. So instead of a list of regular retail stores, like a Macy's, a Bonwit Teller, a Bergdorf's, a Marshall Fields, I got a huge list of discount stores and I had a rolling, oh, this is the best thing I did. You're going to like this. So I bring in a buyer and I say, okay, I need $15 for this blazer. And they go, well, I only want to pay 10. I go, well, I'm sorry, I need 15. And I go, well, and they go, well, how about 12? I go, fine. You want to write the order for $12? Write the order for $12. But if someone gives me more money, I'm not shipping you. Okay, <laughs> I'll write it for $15. <laughs> I love that negotiation at its finest, Ramona. Negotiation 101. That is huge. Yeah. Now, when you made the decision to do this, because you said the three things you need in life, right? We already talked about the shelter, companionship, yeah. and stuff like that. Do, and one thing that a lot of people deal with now is their parents or friends and families telling them that what their decision is doing is not right because it doesn't fit the system of the blueprint, the system that defines success. Did anybody doubt what you were doing when you were doing? Did your family members say, Ramona, what are you doing? Or was it always, no, we believe in your story. Just keep doing it. Well, I had a blueprint. You know, you always have to have a master plan. And I don't like to take risks and I don't like risking money. And because um, later on, I basically saved a million dollars and people thought I was crazy because I put it in CDs. I didn't want it in the market because it took, took me too long to make that money. So to go back to risk. So basically, I had a desirable commodity and I told my I had actually a friend in the business. I said, listen, I've been doing this already now for like six months. I'm only going to buy merchandise that I purchase orders for. So my secret to my business was it was all pre-sold. Interesting. So you were never floating. You never needed like floating capital. It was already. Well, no, capital I needed. No, so that was. No, the idea was a lot of people in the closeout business, let's say that blazer you have on, they'll buy 100,000 units of it and maybe they can only sell 90 or 50 and they're stuck with the rest and they're losing money. I would only buy that, those 100,000 blazers if I already had orders. So I would get that blazer, send out samples to this store, that store. I get orders within 36 hours. Got 24 it. hours. Wow. Okay. Also because I had a niche. It was express. People wanted, the discount stores wanted, it was a desirable commodity, private label, express, limited, and Taylor. So I only per- I only bought the merch. There was no risk. There was no risk. I love it. Unless, of course, the business went out, went out of business. Right. But I was dealing with AAA stores. So I said, so I had this one gentleman friend that I was always good friends with. He was a big... Um, he sold a lot of fabrications to my, the companies I used to work for. And I told him about this idea and I said, I need some money. He said, listen, I'll be your partner. And then I told my dad about the idea. He goes, honey, you need no partners in life. What do you need to start? And I need to buy $70,000 worth of merchandise that I already had pre-sold. So that 70,000 merchandise, when the people paid me, I made 90,000. I just made a 20 grand. So you made you made that 20 grand instantly just from brokering well, the trans- I, In the beginning, yeah. I, well, I would work on like, I think like, 15% or something. So yeah, so let's say 90. So yeah, so maybe the order, the purchase order was $100,000 and uh, it cost me 80,000. So I was charging 20%, which I thought was a fair price. 
Interesting. So when your dad gave you, though, that 70K, we talk a lot about debt and repayment. What did your repayment back look like to your dad and how quickly? Did well, I was I was I was angry that he wanted me to pay him interest. I had to pay him interest. <laughs> I like that, though. I like that he's making you think through that, you know? Yeah. But I paid him back in 30 days because the stores were paying me. Oh, no, that was the other thing. Then I realized what you talk about is cash flow. Right. So I would have to pay my vendors in 30 days. And stores at that time would want to pay net 60, net 90. And I negotiated again with them. I said, if you want this merchandise, you have to pay me in 10 days ROG. Because after they get the goods right in their warehouse, they have to pay me in 10 days. So I never had a cash problem. That is once, once I started making the money in the business, because then I would just put the money back into the business. Right. Wow. I mean, huge, huge lessons that people can learn as they apply. Uh, these, right. But this now this is what happened to you. Now this is the tricky part. I'm doing this for a year or two. And the company I was working for called Scene Design, they were going public and they wanted for nepotism, get rid of me and bring someone else in. Okay. So now I left that company and now I'm going to do it all on my own because I had a captive audience with their merchandise. So now I really had to branch out. I said, okay, I can risk. I remember it was $12,000, a thousand a month rent. I said, I can afford to lose 12,000. I'm giving myself one year, one year to make money and see what I can do. And it took me about three months to get my first big deals. And after three months, that was it. I that was on was my it. way. And there, there's good lessons there too for people that are looking to make that transition. Ramona built this plan in place, right? So that you knew exactly how much cash you could bleed. You knew your time period and you had to get it done within that time period. That is awesome. Tell us a little bit more though, because I, I really like the story about RMS and how you started it. Tell us a little bit more, because we don't see that as much behind the scenes, but where the business like grew to, like what was the pinnacle of the business? What type of sales were you doing? And when, when did you end up taking off from RMS? Okay, so basically what happened was I started, I took the showroom and I started making money after three months. And, I, you, and basically, you know, you talk to, you gotta talk to people. I'd be in the elevator. Who do you work for? Do you have any excess inventory? I'd read the trade journal, women's wear. There's what Leslie Fay had a division that was going out of business. I went to them and I bought all of their merchandise. They're like, who are you? And I have the customer base. See, it, it, you, could, you can have the best product in the world, but if you don't have the customer base, forget about it. So I had already built a good customer base and they trusted me because I never, because my background was a buyer, I never tried to fool them. If I said I'm going to ship Navy blazers, they were Navy, not purple. If I said this is a size break, this is what I shipped them. It's always first quality. If there's a problem, I would tell them. You have to be very upfront and this way people trust you, right? It's all about trust business. So what happened was I just kind of, was, then I got pregnant and I realized I should bring an assistant in. So, because I was doing this all myself and going crazy. And this guy next to me, a nice guy like you said, you need some help here. And I brought a girl in and eventually I had like three or four people working for me. And I was doing about 5 million a year, which is probably like, you know, 15 million a year. And by the time I was 37, I had saved a million dollars in cash, which bought me my homes in Southampton and my apartment in New York City. Wow. That is an unbelievable story of just grinding and figuring a way out, especially with like not having many other options. So I did it all. I did the accounts receivable. I mean, but then my, my girls would do it. I'd call, I'd say, hi, this is Ramona from Armas Fashions. I'm just checking on an outstanding invoice. Can you please tell me the status? Well, you know, and then I'd say, they go, well, okay, you put me to the top of the piles. So they can pay me. Lot of and then I got a factor and then I got a factor, which would ensure because now I'm shipping invoices a quarter of a million at a time and, or I have, you know, receivables of a half a million. And now I have a baby, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 
helping support my family. And I didn't want to risk a half a million dollars. So I, I got a factor because they insure it. They take 1% of your revenue to insure. So that way I'm guaranteed payment even if the store goes belly up. Yeah, exactly. Guys, in the recap, we'll do a deep dive of what factoring is and how it uh, works with cash flow and stuff like that because it's a great tool to use. Ramona, as we move past your story with RMS, what do you think? Uh, I have two questions for you. The biggest takeaway, the biggest learning lesson that you would give to an entrepreneur given your grind to the startup and then your success to the millions and millions of dollars of revenue, what is like one of your biggest takeaways? You have to just really believe in yourself. I mean, if I had doubted myself, I wouldn't be where I was. I mean, there's so many, there's like Ben Elias, there's major companies who did what I did. And I actually was competing with them. So it's, it's just, you have to believe in yourself and just be passionate. And look, and I always look at everything as the glass is half full, not half empty. And you have to have drive. It's, it's just be passionate and have drive. And if someone's listening to this right now and they're intrigued by your story and they've always had a desire to get in the fashion space, but they don't know where to start, how would you recommend someone break in a little bit to the fashion space? You have to work for someone. I mean, basically I was working for other people and I learned, I mean, when I was working for companies like Calvin Klein, French Connection, there was always excess inventory and I would sell that too. So it's just about putting yourself in the environment. When I was a buyer for Macy's, I started off as a sales goal for Macy's. And then I became a sales manager, which got me into the training program, which made me an assistant buyer and then a buyer. So, and then I dated a guy in the garment center and I go, there's something wrong with this equation. He's making a lot of money, not working that hard. I'm not making that much money and working my ass off. So that's when I switched to Calvin Klein, French Connection. I switched, you know, to those areas because you have potential to make more money in the fashion business and retail. And it's not, it's not as hard. It's not as demanding. I think the curiosity of that is so important though. Like when you see someone that's making all this money, but you don't see much input, you start to scratch your head and say, why am I, what do I working for this person if I could do it myself? I mean, that's the type of drive that so many people are seeing and we're seeing it with great resignation now. I want to transition though, because RMS is a great story. I think there's so many takeaways from what you did, but everyone knows you're right. I mean, for the most part from, from real housewives. So how did that opportunity come about? When did you get approached to go on the show and where were you from? A business perspective at that point? At that point, my company was doing strong numbers and I got approached to do it. And I really didn't want to do it, but I just was, my daughter at that time wanted to be an actor. So I said, okay, let me just film for the day. I'm bored right now. It's July. It's like, you know, a dead season. Oh, and this is also thinking out of the box. So closeouts, you can't find a lot of closeouts in July and August. So I actually would produce my own merchandise to sell to my stores. Oh, interesting. I would actually make I would make merchandise. Yeah. So so on the, the, on the so you created inventory on on mm -hmm. seasonal times where inventory was super low. Yeah. That is really cool. Before I want to get to real housewives, but before I do, now you got yes. me thinking as a consumer, we already talked about a business person, like maybe trying to get in the fashion space, but as a consumer, right? Just bought this blazer. You go shopping. You do look for the reduced racks. Do you have any tips or tricks that we should know as a consumer when buying at a mall, an outlet store online, anything you would tell us? Or you know, I mean, I really think, you know, stores like TJ Maxx, Ross stores, and they get great product. They get first quality product from major brands that it's just leftover merchandise and they just want to get rid of it. So, but the, you have to just frequent them every, every week or something. Cause I get shipments every day and the good stuff goes fast. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. There it is. All right. So real housewives, right? So you get approached, yeah. you say you don't want to really, you're not thinking about doing it, but your daughter wants to be an actress. Oh, right, I know. Cause my girlfriend, my girlfriend, Dr. Sharon Geezy, 
they cold called her, the production company. And they said, do you have any patients or any friends that are married, that work, that are very social, live a nice life and are dynamic? So she called me up. She's the only one I can think of is you, Ramona. So as as just as a fun thing, I did it. And then my and my daughter's like, are we getting it? Are we getting it? And um, then they call me and I really had no interest, but they do a demo tape. So I said, oh, I'll consider doing the show if you send me the demo tape you gave the producers. They go, oh, well, we don't think we can do that. I said, well, then I don't think I can do the show. Then they said, hold on. They sent me the tape. And I remember playing tennis with Jill Zarin. We had no idea we were signing up for the same show. <laughs> so she, I said, I'm doing this show. I asked for a demo tape. She said, well, gee, I didn't get one. I'm doing the same show. I mean, how freaky is that? That is so wild. Yeah. I love, I love in, in, in both your business life and The Real Housewives, you, and I've seen it just from afar, you kind of set the standard for things and you're just not afraid to walk away at any time, right? I mean, no. you did this in all your business. Oh, the negotiations. They the send me a contract. They, said, they go, so the, for the contract, I started negotiating the contract because I, I, I don't know how I know, but I just, I understand law very well. I love learning law in school. And in the contract, it said, if you somehow leave, they're going to charge me $50,000. I'm like, that's absurd. You're going to change that maybe to $5,000, which they did. And then I started negotiating. This is the best part. I was negotiating for 7,500 an episode, right? But then I walked away. Because I go, what do I need this for? I'm already social. I'm famous with my friends. I have a great career. I have a husband in social life. I don't need this stuff. Then I decided I'll do it because I met this woman at Polo. And she said, I want you to do the show. Why won't you do the show? I go, number one, I have no time. She goes, no, don't worry. It's only filming once or twice a week. That was lie number one. Then I said to her, well, you know what? I'm older than these girls by 10 years. I don't do the big charity benefits anymore. Been there, done that. I do intimate dinner parties for 2030. She's like, fine, we'll film that. I go, no, my friends will not want to be filmed. She goes, well, don't worry. We'll have enough. I go, no, no, no. I'll be so boring. She goes, Ramona, you're nothing but boring. And then like a little light bulb went off my head, like ding, ding, ding. I convinced my ex-husband to do True Faith Jewelry with me to develop a website. I said, well, if you promote and showcase True Faith Jewelry, then I'll do the show. She goes, I'll get back to you. They agreed. And I did the show. Then this is the worst part. Jill Zarin and the other people were so desperate to do the show. They agreed to do all six episodes for only $7,500. What? (laughs) While you were getting $7,500 per episode and you were placing organically your business. No, but I... Dropped out of the negotiations. And then when I decided to do it, I told the lawyer, okay, I'm in 7,500 episodes. She's, oh no, it's 7,500 for six episodes. That's like a thousand an episode. But the good news is we ended up doing 12 episodes. I think we ended up making with the reunion 50,000 the first season. Okay. And in the second season, I said, I wouldn't do it for any less than X amount. I was always the one who like, because you know what? I know what we're worth. So speaking, you know, Bravo has been very good to me. so anyway, that's so, my story with Bravo. So as you've negotiated from 2008 to where we are today, like have those are those numbers drastically, drastically changed? Because we, we oh, come on, I'm on the show for like 20 years now. I mean, I, I think I'd be being paid a little more than 50,000 a season. Well, I would point. I would freaking hope so. But we always hear on this show that like these re- reality television people, even when they go back, go back, they say like, I make all my money because of the show and the stuff I do off of it. I don't, I wouldn't say that material amount is made. You know, I don't, I don't really know what everyone gets paid. And, and I know that Bravo does pay their people who've been there for a while, quite fairly, in my opinion. Yeah. And people do have other businesses and some people don't. So it's, it's all what you want to do. So do you think majority of people on Real Housewives make more from the show or from the businesses and stuff outside? I, I don't know. It's, it's I don't. Each, each, each person. Okay. Now with all know. your negotiations though, what would you say 
are because you've had a, a ton of experience in negotiating. Said you're like the leader within the group of negotiating. What tips would you have from someone sitting home and let's say someone sitting home in Pennsylvania and they're a, a salesperson or wherever they are listening to this show right now? What tips do you have for negotiating and making sure that you're getting paid for what you're worth? Well, you can't be, you cannot be afraid not to walk. You have to know your worth and though, and then always, you know, it's always good to interview other places to know your worth. I mean, I know when I was going from one company to another company, I would just, you know, I'd up my salary because they would be paying me. So I'd go for another job, increase my salary by another 10, 20,000. So you can't be afraid to walk and you have to give it, you know, give a good presentation. You have to have a meeting with the person say, listen, I'd like to have a review. This is the business I've created for you. Or when you're with a sales company, say, I want goals. If I do an extra, if my goal is a million, but I bring a million and a half, I want extra money for the extra half million I bring in. So you have to do a contract yourself and not be afraid to say, listen, I think this is how it should be. And no company wants to lose a good salesperson because that's how they make their money is through sales. Exactly. I mean, they drive the top line. One thing I'm thinking about, Ramona, as you're speaking and all and all the research we've done and been able to watch on TV is you don't strike me as someone who really deals at all through all the different chapters of your life with imposter syndrome. And in our audience, we did a poll and about 84% of them said they do deal with imposter syndrome on a day-to-day basis. Do you what do you mean by imposters? I don't know what you mean. So, so imposter syndrome. Yeah, so what imposter syndrome is, is that when they walk into a room of other people, they right. immediately start stacking themselves up against themselves and feel as though they don't belong. Feel as though like, oh, wait, you, why oh, am do I that. here? That's rule number and you one. don't uh-huh, do that. Uh-huh. So how are you never intimidated by, maybe it's like the biggest celebrity or the biggest producer or the biggest person in fashion. Like what does Ramona do to be like, no, 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 not me. I don't deal with that. I think I think it's very important in life and business. And like, I guess even in the personal, I never did it. I guess I do it personally too. But I know in business, I always say, or whatever career path you're on, just think straight ahead, follow your own path. You can't look to the left. You can't look to the right. You can't look behind. You can't be worried what other people are or aren't. Just be you and be confident in you. Yeah, I like that. Just get get confidence in what you're doing. And I think it comes down to like knowing yourself. When you know yourself better than anyone else, you're not going to feel like you're an imposter in the room. Yeah. I mean, you know, the book, The Secret, I was doing The Secret before the book was even written. And my daughter now, she's doing this. She's doing little post-ups. Like, and she's just do, if you're not confident, just put something on the mirror and three times a day say, you know what? I'm a great person. I have this going for me and this going for me and this going for me. And I'm a fabulous, you know, wife, mother, friend, businesswoman. You have to like believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? Exactly. Well said. You got it. And if, I think if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? And the other thing too, is if you can't sell yourself, how is anyone going to understand your value? Because you have to be able to sell yourself day in and day out because no one's going to do it for you. Ramona, since 2008 and joining Real Housewives to now, a ton of business opportunities have come your way and you've done a million things. Of those, what has been the most, let's say, either exciting or lucrative business endeavor that has come from being on the Bravo show? I really enjoyed doing the Pinot Grigio. I had to stop doing it because it was just too much work doing all the personal appearances. But the Pinot Grigio was fun because I actually created a wine that I loved and I made sure it tasted even good lukewarm because a lot of times Pinot Grigios only taste good ice cold and I made sure that it tasted good 
room temperature. The last note was smooth with a pear and apple. And I love, I actually love going to the signings, but it was just too much being on the plane every week. And it was just too much. It was too much for me, but I really enjoyed it. And listen, I was very proud. I sold like 10,000 cases in one year. That's like huge. I opened up some major stores, some major chains. I got into Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is really difficult to get into because it's state regulated. So that was a really major accomplishment. That is huge. One question we get a lot, especially just being on like from the Bachelor shows, but you've been doing this for now, you know, almost 15 years or so, is what is your biggest life and business learning lesson behind the camera? So when you're in the reality television, you're seeing people angle, you're seeing people manipulate, you're dealing with producers, you're dealing with branding. What has been one of your biggest takeaways from living in this reality TV space for 15 years? Well, I know one thing I've learned when filming, no one should allow a producer to manipulate them or make them do something that they're not comfortable with. And I know I had some situations and I love doing Bravo and I love Bravo, the network, but I had situations with some producers. They wanted me to do things that didn't feel right for me and that backfired on me. So always be true to yourself, even when you're filming a reality show. Yes, some of it's a little out there, but you have to, you can't do something that doesn't resonate well. Yeah. Am I answering your question? I think perfectly. Yeah. I mean, you got And I know a lot of, and and unfortunately I've I've seen cast members in the past where they blur their real life with the reality TV. They they can't differentiate it. They can't, it's very important to, to keep it in a separate compartment. I have my reality TV and then I have my real life and it's totally separate. A lot of Reality stars can't separate the two, and that's not healthy. But is that a tough thing to do? Because a lot of the reality TV brand personality comes from sharing personal things. Like, is that tough to do, to, to draw the line in the sand for you? Well, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you when you're filming, you may have to do, obviously, um, especially with our show, the Housewife show, it's conflict and resolution. It's constant conflict and resolution. And a lot of times, you know, some of these women don't want to have resolution. They just get too angry about it. And they just like, you know, it's a TV show. Just, you know, you have to keep it moving and <laughs> they, and they got to keep it moving. And they, they bring it into their real life when they still are angry. Even when the season's over, or when it's filmed again, it's like, get over it. It's a TV show. It's entertainment. <laughs> life is short. You know? and, listen, and then in life, like, I see, I don't believe in holding grudges because that's my personality. I mean, listen, no one can believe I'm the best friends with my ex-husband who spent holidays together. I love him as a person holding a grudge. It's just negative energy. Just it's poison. But how do you, so that's, that's, that's so much easier said than done. How do you actually not hold the grudge? You just compartmentalize and let things go. Forgive, not forget. You know what? I went to a therapist for a while and she said, you know what, Ramona, what you do is you take it in, you digest it, and then you spit it out. Wow. Okay. Otherwise it causes stress and stress causes cancer. And it's much easier to be happy than to be sad. And, you know, and then if someone really upsets me, I just cut them out of my life. I just, I won't talk to them. Ramona. I don't try to be vicious. I just like, just ignore them. Your life and business philosophies I can listen to all day. I mean, they make so much sense, but like, I feel like we don't talk about these things a lot. So I got a question for you then knowing that you got really good insight here, but according to business trend survey right now in 2021, women own just 31% of small businesses or franchises. And as you know, there is a gender gap in entrepreneurship and hey, it's still very prevalent in our society. And I know you're very vocal about female empowerment, females in business, females negotiating for themselves. Do you have any tips or things that you would recommend people do to start to change these numbers, to change these odds? Well, I think, you know, right now, I think what people like the most is a ser- service businesses. Anything service businesses is people need service businesses. So I would advise the woman 
to start, she can just start from home, so to speak, or if she has another position, a job that she needs to help provide the family, start a service business that she thinks she's good at, whether it be, I don't know what it could be, floral arrangements or doing dinner parties or starting up a babysitting, you know, a babysitting business to, to, you know, to quantify these people and to vet them. And, you know, and you just do it, you get an EIN number for like 30 bucks and you put all the money into that account and you can start whatever service business you want to start. You know, people can't find great housekeepers. So figure out who are the best housekeepers, put, put them under your umbrella, under your company. And then you can say to people, I know this is a good person. I mean, I don't know, whatever your passion is, you know, but service business, I think is the best way for women to start having their own business with little capital, with no capital, to tell you the truth. You work right from your home and it's a, it's a service business. Right, exactly. And then build up cash and then you can scale accordingly. And like like you said, it's not like you have to go buy, just ma- work, yeah, buy machinery. Or it's not like you're going to buy $100,000 of inventory of clothes to flip. No. Like you could just do your service to get paid and get it going. And, and just, I think, like you said, just get your EIN. Go file an LLC. Just do it. You're already thinking about you it. You don't even have to pay for an LLC. LLC costs money. Right. Start off with an EIN, sole proprietorship, costs 20 bucks. And then you just open up a bank account under that name. That's it. Done. Exactly. Done and done right there. Some tips for Ramona. Ramona, now you're in real estate though, and it's been uh, quite a journey for you. When you look at your real estate career and your professional career, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about it. But the first thing I'm curious, what do you enjoy doing more? Do you enjoy filming for Real Housewives more? Or do you enjoy the real estate and business side of things more? Just from a passion perspective. You know, I like it all. I have so much energy. You have no idea. I mean, the things I do during the day, I mean, I'm nonstop from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. I need a lot of things on my plate to keep me entertained. I mean, I just, I just have energy. So I love doing reality TV. I think I'm really good at it. And as long as I'm having fun, I'll do it. And I've always been interested in business. I mean, I always said if I wasn't in the fashion business, I'd be in the real estate business and fashion, real estate, they correlate because People want a home to showcase well how they live. I mean, that's why home decor is so important, you know. And that's why, like, what, what what's now the fashion trend? Fashion trend is grays and whites and certain stones and modern looking. And yeah, and it's I just I like sales and I like business and yeah, it's just it's all good. And you said high follow energy. your passion. You follow your passion. One thing you said is high energy, and I could tell you from all the interviews we watched, I don't think I saw one that your energy wasn't super high and that you're passionate about it. Is there something you do on a day-to-day basis or do you have a focused routine that keeps you so locked in? I usually try to work out in the morning. I'm here in uh, Palm Beach. So at the colony, I have Isaac Boots. I love his classes. So people can go online to do them too. He's fabulous. I do walks. I work out and I play music. I love playing music when I wake up. There's this one album. It's called Polynesian Spa. Is writing it down right now. Here we go. No, no, it's really good. I'm telling you, Polynesian Spa. And basically, it's like very soothing music with waves and ocean and just very, just it's beautiful. It's very calming and it just helps me get my day going. That's good. I think I could have used that this morning. I, I have an issue. I'm like you, Ramona, very high energy, but winding down is an issue for me. And sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be up all night. Like last night, I woke up at 2.30, couldn't get back to sleep. I should have used the Polynesian spot. Now I'm going to have to check that out. Relax me a little no, It's bit. really good. Just do it for 20 minutes. It just empty your mind. Just think positive thoughts. And it's really relaxing. And you feel like you just had a massage. That is Polynesian spot. Check it off. All right. I want to quickly talk about the real estate. Like, so obviously you make a transition to fashion from fashion to reality TV, now real estate. What do you think are some of the big driving differences that determine success in the real estate brokerage side versus other businesses you've been in? 
I think all business principles can be translated to any business. So whether it's fashion or real estate or whatever you're doing, you know, you need to be, first of all, very um, thorough. You have to really know your product, know your product. So if someone wants a certain home, a certain price point, you know, um, you, you have to know what they want and research it. So research is important. Know your customer, communication. And be, you know, and just be very positive and passionate about what you're doing. I mean, I would not sell someone a house or an apartment just to sell an apartment, just like I would never sell merchandise just to sell merchandise because you want to have the referrals. You want your customer to be happy. So I would never show someone something unless I felt I would want to buy it myself. I like that. That's a, that's a good strategy. And do you, with the real estate market now, I mean, of course, no one has the magic ball in front of them, but there's so many moving parts with interest rates and inflation and how well, interest rates will go up three times this year. And that will definitely, I think, bring down the prices because right now money is so cheap. It's the cheapest it's ever been. So, and I know right now in the Hamptons, there's no inventory. Right. And in New York City, the price, you know, things are really moving nicely. And in Florida, I mean, I found a property from a, a girlfriend of mine. She purchased it a customer. I said, if you don't like make an offer and see it within a day or two, it's going to be gone. It was gone. <laughs> right. So you're thinking three I mean, years. It's just, I mean, inventory is just, you snap your fingers, it's gone. So you think we'll see three interest in Florida, rate hikes? Especially in the, in the Hamptons, there's no inventory. There's really no inventory here in, in Palm Beach area. It's all going fast right now. I mean, you know, listen, no one has a crystal ball. But a lot of people, you know, like to live in Florida because of many different reasons. And the Hamptons is just, you know, it's a beautiful place. And now the city's coming back. So the city, things, prices have gone back up and, and things are moving now in the city too. That's one thing I say all the time too. If there's too much buying power out there, there's too much bidding and the rates have to go up. And when the rates do go up, to your point, there will be less buying power and likely uh, price points will mm-hmm. dip. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes full circle. But you know what? I, I, I advise some if they see something they really like and that you know it's, you know, even if it makes a little over be overpriced, if they're going to be holding it for 10, 15 years or 10 years, it doesn't matter. Buy what you really have a passion for that you know will be good. You know, it's always location, location, location. And in five years from now, where do you, because Ramona, you've done so many things and you've taught I me mean, from, from the Pinot Grigio to the fashion to now real estate, bet on Real Housewives, you're the superstar of the show. Oh, HSN. I was the first housewife to be on HSN. First housewife to be on HSN. I mean, your resume. And I cold called. I cold called the vice president and I got a meeting. So where did you Don't even. Don't be afraid to get up that phone. So, okay. I can't move on without getting that story. Tell me about get that story. Basically, my husband and I had the line True Faith Jewelry and I wanted to be on HSN. So I called up the senior VP and I said, hey, John, uh, this is Ramona from Houses of New York City. I'm on a new TV show. It's showcasing my jewelry. And we have a million viewers and I really want to be on HSN. Can we have a meeting? When are you in New York next? And he met me and he said, listen, we really don't want to do any more of the religious jewelry, but let's do a whole jewelry line for you, which we called Ramona's Jewelry. And I did a whole jewelry line. I was on for several years. It was very successful. And you cold called this guy yourself. Yeah. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. And actually, the higher you go, the easier it is to get on the phone. Like when I was in the garment center, I would have to call up the senior VPs for meetings because the buyer would place the order. So I didn't even stop at the GM. I called the, the, the vice president of the store. Him in. So many takeaways from that. I mean, just 
ask for what you want, put it out there, find a way to get someone on the phone, and those dreams can become a reality. The last question I want to ask you, Ramona, before we get your trading secret, and your trading secret is something, it's a tip, advice to career management, money management, whatever it may be that we just can't learn in a textbook or learn in a classroom. We can only hear from your experiences, Ramona. But I want to ask you, because your resume is so wild. You've done so much cool shit all over the place. What is, like, when you look at your next five years or 10 years, do you have a vision of manifesting, like, exactly what you want? Or does one opportunity just lead to the next? And what can we expect from Ramona in the next five, 10 years? I really, for me, one opportunity has led to another. It just it just comes to me. And then when you have, it's really good to talk, 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 talk to people, converse, because they give you ideas and opportunities will come into your lap and you, and you feed off that. Right now, my passion is the real estate. Where will I be in five years? Maybe still in real estate, probably, because it's something you can do anywhere. I can be in any state and, and, and get a piece of a commission by finding a property for someone or referring someone. So, so I don't know. I don't really know. That's a good question. And I just kind of just, you know, the universe has been very kind to me. Yeah. Well, the universe has been very kind to me and, you know, it's just, it's all about positive energy. And I just, I pray to God every day or to the universe. And I just, please keep me happy and keep me in abundance and healthy. Yeah. And I think the universe has been so kind to you because you you put so much in it, right? You're going, you move in so many directions daily. You, you know, just think about this podcast, everything from managing negotiations to dealing with factoring, managing cash flow, getting a business up and going, going on a television show, negotiating for yourself, selling yourself. Like you just know how to put so much out and in return, so and much And being comes very back. social and running two homes. And, and networking and being a mother. Like, I mean, the, the resume- and a wife. I mean, shit, Ramona. <laughs> and unbelievable. A great well, with all those things, Ramona, that you have under your belt and being wildly, wildly entertaining on television to draw ratings that people just are always tuning in. What is the trading secret that our average listener sitting at home, maybe trying to figure out their career, or manage their finance better, or, or just looking for some insight from someone they look up to? Ramona, what is your trading secret you could leave our viewers with? Well, two things. Number one, you, have, you need to wake up happy every morning. You have to do something every morning that makes you happy so it continues to the day because that gives you that great energy that will manifest with people. The other thing is that people don't realize the more money you make, the more money you spend. So therefore, save. I don't care if you're making 10000 a year, save. 50000 save. You have to save because that's really important, really important. And just if you don't know what to do, just put in the S&P 500. There you go. I the think ETF fund. That is, it is so, and saving. Don't now. spend everything you make. It's just, it's just, you know, just take a portion of it. And I'm sure you've seen it, right? Like in the circles that you've, you surround yourself, you've probably seen people spend exorbitant amounts of money and overspend given their cash inflow. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember this one woman, good friend of mine, she was living this huge lifestyle, much bigger than mine, much bigger. And then something really bad happened in the business and she had no money in the bank account. I go, what do you mean you have no money? She had no, no savings, nothing in, in trust or a college fund for her kids. I was like shocked, shocked, shocked. Very important. Places you don't want to be, right? And there's things you could do proactively. Like you said, whether you're making 10000 or 100000 you got to save, especially in these times yeah, of inflation. $10 a week, $50 a week. And as you make more money, you put more money away. Solid trading secrets from Ramona Singer. Ramona, people that are inspired by your story, your lessons and everything you have going on, where can they find all the stuff that you are doing and where can they find you on social media if they haven't already? Oh, well, if you go on my Instagram, you can, I'm Douglas Elliman now. So if you're interested in 
buying something in anywhere in the country. I can connect you to the best people because I only like the best for me. So obviously only the best for you. Yes, there it is. I love it, Ramona. It is so exciting to see your career track, where you are today and what's next. We'll be following along, along on your Instagram and your whole entire real estate journey. And we really appreciate you coming on. You are the first real housewife we have had on Trading Secrets. Really? The first, yes. I love the that. The first housewife. Wow, I'm the only OG left in the, in the franchise. And I'm the first two. Yeah. And we wanted an OG. We're like, we need an OG. We got an OG. And we really appreciate you telling the stories from 2008 to where you are today, especially with the Real Housewife stuff. Thank well, you so much for being It was really fun it. chatting with you. Really fun chatting with you. You made it very easy. It was very, like, I felt like I was talking to a friend. Oh, so thank I love you for it. making it very easy. I love it. Well, maybe one day our paths will cross in New York and we'll grab drinks or something like that. I would love to do that. Amazing. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time. Ding, ding, ding. We are ringing in the closing bell with the one, the only, the beauty of all beauties, the Canadian beauty, the curious Canadian, David Arduin. David, how we doing, my man? I'm great. There's a lot of beauties, a lot of Canadians, but I have a question for you because I can tell by the sound of your voice, you're a little down right now, Jay. I need the world to know that you lost your Wordle streak today, and I know you're a little emotional about it. So why don't you start there? How are I mean, you doing? Me just fumbling on my beauties in Canadian is a complete direct correlation <laughs> to this Monday. And this Monday, I'm struggling. I have never not got Wordle today. And not only did I somehow screw up Wordle today, David at his record high, getting it in two tries. Really frustrating. Yeah, it's a good day for me. It's a good start. Good start to the day. I was excited for the group, and then, you know, I felt for you. I did. Congratulations, David. I'm proud of you. One thing I know we talked about, David, is I want to kick off every single recap with a quick financial tip. And I want to give a financial tip that's relevant to what's going on right now. So one quick financial trading secret I'm going to give you guys is right now, if you don't know, inflation is 7.9%. And energy costs have increased 26% year over year. The last time we have seen this increase year over year, 7.9%, 26% was over 40 years ago. That was January 1982. Why am I telling you this boring stuff? I'm telling you this because if a year ago, you didn't do anything about accelerating debt pay down, budgeting, and investing, you were it, it was a no-no, but it was okay. And it was okay because inflation was zero. So the cost of doing it wasn't significant. If you are living today in this moment and you hear this and you are not doing anything about budgeting, negotiating, and big time, big time, if you're not thinking about investing, when inflation is 7.9%, it's not a no-no, it's a you're in deep shit. So I just hate to use a scare tactic, but the numbers are creating a situation in which it's no longer, I want to start investing, I want to start paying down debt, it's you have to. So that is my tip of the week, given inflation, where we stand currently with everything happening. And it's a great tip because it's so relevant. And we were actually talking about this last weekend when you were in Rochester. It was so yeah. great to see you and all the boys, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, and invest, I think well, when we talked about it, it's just so easy to invest when it's something that you're like passionate about and that you're into and you're involved with or you consume just to make it a little less like scary, knowing that we have to do it anyways. Why don't you tell the people what you told me this weekend about VinoVest? Because um, I thought that was a really cool way of like investing in something that we all consume, which is 
wine because we're winos. I, you know, that's the thing about David. He might not know everything when you first talk about it, but your attention, your memory is incredible. Um, as we were drinking wine, yeah, there is this group called Vinovest. They've reached out to me through Restart and Trading Secrets. And so what they do is it's an opportunity to diversify your investment uh, portfolio. So you go to vinovest.co and you could actually invest in wine. I know it's a hundred percent like like a crazy concept, but wine is a commodity. Wine is stable, unlike the crazy, um, the crazy market, and you can actually invest in it. And so, if when you do invest in it, I have an account. You can o- you own a hundred percent of the portfolio. So legally, they're tied to a unique account. So all those wines that I'm investing in, I own them. That Vinovest could go out of business, and I still own them. Not that they're going to. And it gives me like I would say pretty stable returns, especially given all the craziness that's happened in the market. I mean, first quarter of the market, David, and I know we're getting a little off the podcast, but it's important we do this. The first quarter of the market, S&P and the big indices were down like 22%. And this stayed pretty stable. So my question to you, David, now I'm going to put it back Mm -hmm. on you. This reminds me of your crypto talk, vinovest.co. I told you, if you mentioned trading secrets, they're going to give you two months of free a uh, fee-free investing. Did you do that? You didn't. Yeah. No, I, you didn't. Well, I could I was, tell. I was, I didn't know that, that you were, that I know that you were talking to them about doing something. I didn't know it was official. Um, I just wanted, you know, I'm the voice of the viewer. I need to get in there when the viewers are getting in there. Okay. And I'm going to do it. So, I love that. All right. So I don't, again, look, I love I don't your have, honesty. I don't got the spade and sparrows behind me. <laughs> I, I can't I just invent my own wine label. Ramona talked about selling 10K cases of her Pinot Grigio. I can't do that. I'm going to invest in Vinyl Vest uh, because Ash and I love to kick back with a nice glass of red. There you go. Just like your cryptocurrency, I want an update to make sure you do it. And they're giving all trading secrets and my restart followers. Everyone has, uh, if you mention trading secrets, you're going to get two months fee-free on Vinovest. So check it out, David. I'm going to keep you, we're diversifying this portfolio and I'm going to keep you and hold you to it. Vinovest next week. I want to see your portfolio. Moving on. No, and, and you will. And and that was much better than my experience on, on last week's pod doing an ad read. So congratulations on that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's funny <laughs> is this was, uh, this was just an organic placement of a company that I work with, but David had to do the ad reads last week, guys. Those are scripted, paid, you know, pre-roll, mid-rolls. Those are like the real deal from Dear Media. And I was out of town. David had to do them. I want people right now, when you're listening to this, how long do you think it took David to read four, four, ads. 90 second ad read. 90 second ad read for that should be six minutes total of audio. How long did it take, David? Do you have your guess? Are you thinking? Are you there? Here we go. David, tell him how long. It took me two and a half hours Ah! to do four (laughs) ad reads. (laughs) It took me 147 takes. I have them all saved. I have to get a blooper roll going. It was... Ashley was laughing her head off in the other room. It was terrifying. It's so nerve wracking. And for you people at home who think it's just like word for word verbatim, they give you four pages. You could do this. You could talk about this, but make it your own. Make it organic. Don't make it sound like an ad read. It's like people come on here. It was exhilarating and frustrating, but I thought 
And I'd love to hear from you guys. I yep. thought I kind of, I thought I kind of crushed it. All right, guys, give us feedback, give us ratings. We're looking for five stars, and in the comments, let us know. Last episode, did David nail the four ad reads or not? Because it took him two and a half hours. All right, David, we've been bantering about vinyl vest yes. ad reads, all this bullshit, all this good stuff, uh, but we're here for Ramona Singer. Give me your thoughts on the episode. Well, I watch a lot of reality TV and a lot of, uh, you know. Bravo, and we watch Below Deck, we watch Summer House, we watch Too Hot to Handle, we watch The Bachelor, Joe Millionaire. I've always been terrified of the people from Real Housewives. They're just so another level intense. It doesn't matter if it's New York City, Atlanta, Salt Lake City. I was, she gave me exactly what I was expecting, which is the intensity. She's obviously brilliant. She's smart. She's a go getter. She's a hustler. And from all that, I have some definitions because sometimes she just talked over my head. So uh, I know if I, you know, people always, I hear it in the comments. Uh, I hear when people are talking about our podcast, they love when I bring up things that I don't know because chances are there's someone out there who doesn't know. So if you're ready, I got some some hitters for you. I'm ready. And David, that is exactly why they're curious. Can I, if anyone ever asked, so like, why'd you think of David? Well, one, he already mentioned it. He literally knows pop culture better than me. He listens and watches every single reality show. That's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two, humble, great communicator, very connected with his emotions and is vulnerable. Gotta love that. And step three is he is perfect because when we go over business stuff, he's the voice of viewer and can fire away questions. So David, this is why you're perfect for the role. What questions you got? Let's go. I'm not afraid to make fun of myself like a two and a half hour to do four ad reads. All right. So the first one she talked about, and you mentioned it in the episode that we would recap it. So we have to recap it. And I didn't know about it. So it's a perfect combination. She talked about factor. Yes. She talked about, uh, in her business transactions, she got a factor. Um, I have no clue what it is. Truly no clue in, in this sense. Uh, what is a factor? So think about factoring as... Um, if suppose you do a deal, David, right? Like we've mm -hmm. done on this podcast. And unfortunately, we have to wait so long to get paid. So we have to wait all this time to get paid for accounts receivable because they go to like 90 days. Well, if we had like serious costs to support this podcast, which we don't, we'd be screwed because it takes so damn long to get the money. What factoring does is like they will come in and they will say, listen, you guys already read the ads. You did the podcast you're going to give me 10% of what you do in ad money. But the second you read those ads, two days later, the money's in your account. Right? So like suppose that. those four ad reads you read last episode, we won't see that money for probably three, four months. Right? And so what this does, factoring, the guy comes and says, David, you spent two and a half hours, you read those ads. We're <laughs> going to get, I'm going to take some of the money but tomorrow, the cash will be in your account. So that's what was big for her business is she didn't have to take out big loans because when she sold, she instantly got paid on the accounts receivable. And that also minimizes a risk for a business because if people owe you money for long periods of time, there is a likelihood or chance those businesses go out of business, you don't get paid at all, then you're really screwed. Is it a common thing in, in negotiation tactics or business to get a factor? It depends on the type of business, what you're selling, and how intensive capital is for your business. But in the banking world, we came across factoring here and there when working with other businesses. I wouldn't say every okay. deal you're seeing factoring, but here and there. And you mentioned 90 days to get paid on, on something or three months, you know, four months for us to get paid. 90 days is three months, David. Nice one. Nice play there. Got a boy. Um, <laughs> to, get paid, to get paid on some things. 
She said she negotiated 10 days ROG. I think that's kind of in the same ballpark of what you're talking about. So yeah, uh, 10 days ROG. ROG, receipt of good. So what she's saying there is what you could do, David, is you could actually take a discount from someone and then you can get paid quicker without going through this third party of factoring. So essentially, imagine we go to Dear Media and we say, listen, I know you're going to pay us for these ads that David just read for two and a half hours last week in 90 days. Take 5% off the top and we'll take it in 30 days. So okay. she negotiated to get paid money from the big companies quicker and faster. And she took a little hit for doing it. Similar to factoring. Same idea. All right. I got two more for you. Fire uh, One I hear all the time. One of our best friends is in the business. It's private label. Now you hear it all the time. Uh, oh, I work in private label or this is a private label for that. Can you just give us a quick couple quick examples, maybe for some different industries on examples of private label and how they're, you know, a function of, you know, really companies are private label companies. So yeah, um, just clear that up because I think it's one of those terms where, oh yeah, you're in private label. Cool. And then it's just like, you turn around, you're like, I have no fucking clue what, that, what they're talking about. Yeah. I think the idea of private label is think, go back to manufacturing, right? So it's manufactured by a one company. So Let's say it's it's my uh, let's come up with this. Come on, can cuts. I can I talk? Can I throw one out there? Like, yes. Can you have a company that makes potato chips, but you actually don't have a brand? You just make the chips, and you're of a course. private label brand, and you sell the chips to Wegmans and Walmart and all those stores. Yep, it's literally just break it down in simple terms. It's a product that's manufactured by one company, sold under another. Okay, right. That's very good. So it's very sold, very and good. that dude. The crazy thing is is you just brought up chips, but like this happens with coffee a lot. Like there are big manufacturers mm, of true. roasters where like so much of United States coffee comes from. And it's the same roaster. They just label it differently. I got to bring this up because bring the friend that worked, the friend that has private label, the chip brand, Funded yes. Food, he just texted me and he goes, are you going to Boston for the book tour? I love that. Wait, what so, is what's his private label? What's it called? His, his uh, Fun Day Food is the company. Fun Day Food? Has. And what's the, what is, tell me about the company. What do they do? He had uh, manufacturers ke uh, kettle chips. Okay. But crazy flavors. Like so what? like glazed donut and salted wow. caramel and everything bagel. And they are, they didn't last long. Let's just say nine bags didn't last nine minutes in this okay. house. Okay. So. so this is an example where that he had probably hasn't manufactured somewhere else, right? And then Correct. he branded them himself. But, what he could do is if this brand doesn't work, it's called Funday Foods, right? Funday Food, yeah. I need a package right now. Sounds so good. What he oh, could do, you got to see it. Yeah, what he could do then is if this is his like brand, he could like go and sell this to like you said, glazed donut. He, they could put mm -hmm. that under Krispy Kreme. They could be Krispy Kreme chips. He is the distributor. It's still his product, but it's labeled Krispy Kreme chips. That's another example. Funday Foods, got to check it out. We'll talk it over in Boston in the book tour. I love um, it. We're running out of time, but I have a couple hypothetical questions that she brought up in her experiences that I want to ask you about yours. Okay. The I first is, she said that when she was first getting started in this industry, her boss said that she had to sell a million dollars in inventory in two weeks, which is just crazy. Yeah. I want to know, in the corporate America version of Jason, what is the, and this might be putting you on the spot, what is the craziest corporate America work task 
that you were ever asked to do. Oh Where it's my like, God. really? Dude, you asked me to do this now? This dude, much time? I can think of literally so many of these, but I'm going to go to one. And I want you to okay. think about this. Okay. It's been a long work week. You already don't like your job. You're dealing with bosses and people that just are really, you're not getting along with. It's Friday. All you're thinking about is that nice cold brewski that's going to come towards the end of the workday. And it's coming. It's three, four o'clock. You're there. And all of a sudden, boom, you get a call from a client that because of, this is perfect tie-in because they bought too much product or something uh, happened that was outlying their entire line of credit, $3 million, is now completely tapped out. And the same line of credit is being used to pay their employees. So there's 285 employees this Friday that didn't get their paycheck because, or to the next day when it clears, aren't going to get paid, won't be able to feed their kids and their family or pay their bills because the line of credit is tapped. And now I'm getting the call at Friday at four o'clock that we need approval. And at a bank, it doesn't just, you don't just click a button. You have to go through this whole process of compliances and approval. And you can imagine like the stress and anxiety that causes in the whole inside of the bank and also kind of how foolish it makes me look because it makes me look like a bad banker that doesn't know exactly what's happening with you know your your company's line of credit that you're managing problem is i wasn't ever incentivized or most of the time wasn't really incentivized to be monitoring that little small stuff i was more focused on getting new deals so i would get law you know things like that would would fall under the under the radar and that was a disaster i'm sweating thinking about it next topic that's when you that's when you, that's when you bring the happy hour beers inside to the yeah, office exactly. to, to make sure those deals get done but you just got to um, get it done you have no choice those are like fire drills and you go got to do it uh, you asked her about her doubters. Like, what do you say to your doubters or people who doubted, you know, your success, your path? We started these businesses. And her response was pretty cool. She said, you always have to have a master plan. And, you know, she went into some more detail on what that is and, and how she, you know, created her own master plan and, and her success. You know, you obviously have doubters. You have haters. You have people who probably still to this day, even though you've proven it time and time again, think that you're just here because you got lucky and were on a reality TV show. Obviously, you're building something pretty cool between Restart and obviously our podcast that I'm so lucky to be a part of. You got the book coming out. I want to know for your doubters and haters, what is your master plan? What is your, you know, when you look at back at all this, what what is your master plan on what you want to do? What impact do you want to have in the businesses that you started, that you found, or you get to be a part of? Great question. This could be a full podcast, so I'm going to try to yeah. make it pretty quick. Uh, but I think with the haters too, is like when I started the idea of Restart, the amount of people that were like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, go back to work. This is stupid. It's going to amount to nothing was literally astronomical. And part of the plan was first build a community. We built the community. People wouldn't think we got the following. We got the following. We got the newsletter. We built a team reinvested it, built a podcast, have the two books, have invest investments in a trading app. Like it is coming together and it is coming together so well. And the ha same haters two years ago that said never would, if you told them where we were today, they'd be like, damn, you guys are going on a book tour? Like, wait, what? So that's step one, right? And I think the master plan here though is continuing to build off this and to build uh, a community where when you have a financial or career management question, we have the answer, but we not only have the answer, we have the product. That's my goal. So when David Arduin comes to me and says, hey, dude, I'm in the market for a new car loan. Boom, you come to restart. You go to the website. You input what exactly you need. You got your answer and it's the best solution for you. Almost like a Kelly Blue Book for all things finance and career. And we'll slowly get there. It's going to take time, but that's the plan.
That's amazing. And honestly, I feel like the world is trending in that direction where it's becoming more like important. Did you see that Florida just passed? A, um, I don't know if it's a bill or whatever you call it, but every high school diploma has to have a class in financial literacy now, which I thought I love was really, that. really cool. I yeah. absolutely love that. So all those people out there, all the haters, use it as fuel. Use constructive criticism to implement when necessary. But you know what? Just keep driving because the same people that are hating are the same people that are hating because they're feeling the insecurity of not doing. And like you have heard on every damn guest that's come on this podcast, it's the failure that creates the lessons. It's the lessons that creates the growth. Amen. I got one more question. It's a numbers question. It has to do with Ramona. I have to ask it to you because she didn't give us the number. You know, I'm the numbers guy. She was, if I was on the podcast, she's too scary. So I wouldn't have asked her anyways. Um, <laughs> she's terrible. She yeah. said that she negotiated for her first season, 7,500 an episode while others did six episodes for 7,500. She said it ended up going 12 episodes plus reunion. She made about 50 K for the season. You asked her if that grew over time because reality TV kind of squeezes people in this box and they make their money for business ventures after the show. But she said Bravo takes care of their talent, especially their long-term talent. 15 seasons, I think she did. What do you think she made per season at the end of it? It's wild because I knew you were going to ask me before that and I got excited. Uh, what's, <laughs> wi what's wild is I think she mentioned the Bravo thing because she must have just been under contract because David, didn't you just tell me she's not renewed for this season? Yeah, I just put that on you like right before we hit record. But there's a the fact I get people magazine <laughs> emails shows you how just like sometimes I'm like, what are you doing? But I guess Bravo is rebooting Real Housewives of New York City and doing a complete recast from scratch. Wow. So Ramona Singer's out. They really? say they might do like a Real Housewives of New York legacy. Yeah. That will feature some of the old ones. But as far as like the new season, like it just came out today, like on Wednesday. And See, I wish we would. I blah, wish blah, blah, blah. we would have. I wish we would have got her before this because I feel like she was Bravo takes care of people because she was probably undergoing negotiation. But yeah, mm -hmm. seventy five hundred per season uh, for per episode in the first uh, first season. All the research I've done says she's paid around five hundred k per season now, which is is you know the largest. I saw the biggest contracts about two two and a half million per season. So five hundred k not renewed. That's what I've seen. So it was interesting though to learn that seventy five hundred per episode is where they started. That was that was, that was interesting. That she negotiated. Yeah, that she yeah. negotiated. And she's it's very not quite Jersey Shore money, but it's getting close. <laughs> I love it. David, you got anything else for me? Uh, no, I'm good. Gearing up for the national championships next week. So um, there we go. Out. Well, good luck for national championships, guys. This is episode is with Ramona Singer, the real housewife. And next week, I'm back in the hot seat. David is going to be interviewing me all on the Restart Roadmap. And as you guys know, the beauty of David interviewing me is we have that deep friendship, that understanding that nothing is off limits. And we've learned from times before where things were off limits and you won't see that again. So make sure you tune in next episode. Make sure you pre-order your copy of the Restart Roadmap. You could do that at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or therestartroadmap.com. And David and I and some others are going on tour starting April 4th to April 11th. We may be in a city near you, so go to therestartroadmap.com. Check where we'll be. Grab a ticket. Pre-order a book. We will see you next Monday for another episode of Trading Secrets, one you can't afford to miss.